Welcome to Across the Street, your one-stop shop for all things inpatient medicine at the Durham VA, from faculty and staff who know it and love it just as much as you do. Hi, my name's Jim Leffler. I am a psychiatrist and internist that works at the Durham VA Medical Center. Uh, Primarily my job now is to be on 9A or 9B, where I see folks that are admitted uh, for chronic psychiatric conditions, though I was a Duke trainee in the med psych program and graduated in July of 17. So I've been in this current position about a year and a half now, uh, but I can think back um, as to what it was like to be an internist and kind of accepting patients or sending patients to the psych ward uh, and not really knowing how those diagnoses affected the folks that I was seeing on the medical ward. Um, so I wanted to talk about schizophrenia kind of for the internist is the way I thought about this. And schizophrenia, as you may know, the Latin, that means split mind. So schizophrenia. And we'll start with kind of an amalgamation of patients that I thought about when how I might be able to be helpful for you guys. So not a real patient, but just a couple of different folks I thought through that I've seen in the last year and a half that I've had to send to medicine or they've come to me from medicine. Uh, so a 66-year-old uh, veteran with schizophrenia who'd been living independently since his mid-20s when he had his first break. Uh, fortunately, the patient was still in the military at the time, so he got hospitalized while he was enlisted and then was medically discharged. So he gets service-connected for schizophrenia, and with that government assistance, he leads a pretty personally fulfilling life for the next um, 30 years, or 40 years until he ends up here with us uh, around 66, 64. Uh, As many folks with schizophrenia do, he started smoking shortly after getting started on Thorazine, and due to this excessive tobacco use, he's had several myocardial infarctions. Those have led to an expected ischemic cardiomyopathy with an EF of about 20%. And he gets admitted to the psych floor, uh, though he's also got volume overload because he wasn't appropriately taking either his uh, Thorazine or his uh, furosemide and lisinopril and other medications he needs to for his heart failure because he both denies that he has either of them and he doesn't quite understand the medications. So I want to talk about how schizophrenia makes his chronic medical condition exponentially worse and how you might approach this person. So you may recall you were taught in medical school, schizophrenia is classically defined by the presence of psychosis. Now psychosis is three different things. It can be hallucinations. Those are typically within the world of psychiatry, visual or auditory. And more classically, someone with schizophrenia has auditory. We think of gustatory or tactile hallucinations more related to either a seizure for the former and some type of withdrawal syndrome for the latter. Next, you have delusions. That's a fixed false belief. Uh, And then the last is disorganized thinking. And I think it's the disorganized thinking that gets the least amount of of, um, press or notoriety because it's hard to conceptualize, but it's the one that makes people fall out of society the most. And uh, you may see in a mental status exam, which is a psychiatric uh, physical exam, something like uh, unkempt or foul-smelling or unwashed clothing. And the reason that's there is to demonstrate that this disorder is causing some kind of functional decline. So it's either those three things, hallucinations, delusions, or disorganized thinking, and you got to have it longer than six months. 
Now, amazingly, uh, you may know this already, folks with schizophrenia, independent of their socioeconomic status or their chronic medical conditions, actually have a 15-year mortality gap. So that means instead of dying, say, at 65, they die at 60. That exists even in an equitable country like Finland, where the statistic was static from 96 to 2009. And if you're interested, you can check out a Lancet article in 2009 from Finland that describes these findings in detail. And I would suggest that one of those major issues is this disorganized thinking uh, and that it's really a cognitive problem and that we should reconceptualize schizophrenia from hallucinations and delusions to more of a cognitive issue, much like you might approach somebody with uh, an autistic spectrum disorder or a uh, major neurocognitive decline, which we previously called dementia. And interestingly, early psychiatrists often thought of uh, schizophrenia as dementia precox, noticing that folks with these psychotic ideas ultimately ended up with significant cognitive dysfunction, and that was really the major player in their illness. Now, I'll describe three different cognitive issues that disrupt folks with this debilitating condition, its ability to function in society, uh, and making things like even changing buses to follow a bus schedule almost nearly impossible. So I'm going to talk about general intelligence, something called inappropriate salience, and then poor task shifting. You may be aware that intelligence is general. And what does that mean? So IQ, we don't have a specific IQ for, say, math, and then a specific one for reading, and then another one for the way we relate in the world. We just have one general IQ. Now, to be sure, there's problems with how that's measured, but it seems to be pretty standard across cultures and across um, populations around the world. And unfortunately, it's pretty static. Regardless of the interventions that are done, we can't really change this general IQ. Now, to let you know about IQ, like most human capacities, it exists on a standard distribution. IQ, the middle number is 100. Two standard deviations below 100 is 70, and we call somebody that falls 70 or lower intellectually delayed. Somebody that is two standard deviations above, that's 130, and we call those folks as uh, being allowed into Mensa. So we think of them as geniuses, right, kind of uh, in the popular culture. That's the idea that's out there. Now, most folks listening to this are going to have an IQ around 120 or higher. So you're definitely on the higher end of the spectrum. And I don't know you, but I would guess that if you've gone into a master's level program or a professional degree, that that's where your IQ is going to fall. You didn't do anything to get that IQ. It was a gift from nature. But it's just to kind of recognize this is something we can't change uh, and that it exists. So why am I telling you all this about IQ? Well, one way to conceptualize the cognitive issue in schizophrenia is that schizophrenia, due to presumably poor pruning, and if you're interested in reading more about that hypothesis, you can read a Nature article by Tom Insull. And so in schizophrenia, if you were to take the population of folks with schizophrenia and you were to map their IQ onto the general population IQ, you just got to shift it two standard deviations to the left in your mind. So if you're going to graduate high school, you don't. Go to college, you graduate high school. Get a master's degree, you graduate college. Get a professional degree, you might get a little bit of advanced college work. And then it particularly falls off if somebody has their first break and then isn't treated very well. So imagine giving complex instructions to a patient with schizophrenia uh, and, and they don't have quite the skill level in terms of their cognitive ability that the person giving those instructions does. So it's not to say you have to dumb them down, but you've got to make them concrete and make sure that you're doing appropriate techniques like t- uh, teach back and these types of things. 
or involving others in the decision-making process much as you would with a patient with major neurocognitive decline. I'm not trying to take away this person's autonomy or agency in terms of making that decision, just trying to help uh, when we're giving instructions think about how can they best be followed uh, so the patient can have the best life possible. So that's general intelligence. The next one's inappropriate salience, and salience means what's important. Uh, In most folks, whenever they're sitting in a room, and even this room I'm in now, there's kind of this hum of the air conditioner that I can hear behind me. Now, eventually, my brain will cut that out, and I wouldn't hear it if I was to focus specifically on one task. The same thing happens when you're in a restaurant engaged in a great conversation. The side noises fall out as your brain can kind of shut them off. Now, folks with schizophrenia have a problem differentiating that signal, which would be the conversation you're having in a restaurant, from the noise, which would be the background conversations. This is much like folks with ADHD. If you've ever kind of encountered that diagnosis, those folks, though, tend to, it's not that they don't recognize noise from signal, they just get distracted by noise and their attention is drawn to noise as if it was a signal. Now, folks with schizophrenia often think the noise is the signal. So they have a difficult... uh, ability. This isn't everybody, but this is a generalization to try to help think about how to better help folks. So they uh, hear a lot of uh, noise, and they're trying to make it signal. So you can imagine if you place in front of uh, someone with this uh, really debilitating diagnosis that they have melatonin, right, which is kind of an over-the-counter medication on the same list as torsamide. If everything's signal, it's going to be hard to recognize which medication they definitely need to take and which one they can't. Uh, So it's important to kind of think about that. The third cognitive difficulty is something called poor task shifting. Now, again, this is a generalization. Not every person with schizophrenia is going to have this. But in general, you can think of folks with this diagnosis as being less able to task shift. Now, what's task shifting? I think I can best demonstrate the psychological concept by telling you about what's called the Wisconsin card sort. So the Wisconsin card sort is a uh, measure of one's ability to find new patterns or abstractions. You may not usually think about that, but I'll come back to what I mean by abstraction in just a moment. So let's say I have a deck of cards in front of me, and I'm taking the cards and I'm turning them over one by one. The first card I turn over is a blue, uh, blue star. The second card I turn over is a blue moon. And the next card I turn over is a blue circle. So, you, so I'll ask you, what's the pattern? That's right, you got it. They're all blue. The cards continue. The next card, red star. Next card, yellow star. Next card, green star. Now what's the pattern? Yep, that's right, star. So you've abstracted out of the first three cards the idea of blue, and you abstracted out of the next three cards the idea of star. So folks that have difficulty task shifting are unable to move from the first abstraction or first pattern that is blue. And so even in the face of continuing changing patterns and continuing changing reasons for what makes something similar, they're still primed to look for the blue. Well, you might say, well, what's that? How's that different from the average individual? Usually it takes uh, the average folks on the Wisconsin card sort. Again, this is going to be distributed across a standard deviation. But in the middle, it takes people about five cards to find the similarity. Uh, so you can shift after five cards, you'll see a new pattern, etc. 
So now just try to imagine if you have this difficulty and you're constantly looking for the next blue card, how hard is it going to be to say, you know what, usually I take one tablet of this um, fluid pill torsamide, but today because my weight has gone up by two pounds in the last 24 hours or five pounds in the last week, now you know what, I'm supposed to take two pills until it returns to the previous value. That's hard for me just to say. Imagine how hard it is for somebody to process one, and then to actually process if you're having difficulty making a new abstraction. So, difficulties with general intelligence, inappropriate salience, and poor task shifting make complex medical regimens extremely difficult for a patient suffering from the cognitive difficulties associated with schizophrenia. These can be things like insulin sliding scales, changing doses of diuretics I've just kind of articulated, and then needing Uh, and then using as-needed antihypertensives. All of that can be almost nearly impossible. So, how might one improve outcomes? Uh, So, the things that we try to use on the psych floor that I didn't typically see done as often on a medical floor is engage what's called either if a patient does have a debilitating diagnosis like schizophrenia, oftentimes they'll have either an assertive community treatment team if it's outside of the VA hospital. If it's within the VA hospital, they might have a mental health intensive case management team. Now that's going to have a nurse, a case manager, a peer support specialist, a psychiatrist, uh, and then uh, some other kind of support staff that'll help that those folks kind of function in society better. We'll often call them and talk with either the nurse or at least send the discharge summary to that person so they'll know the medication changes that we've had so that the nurse or psychiatrist can go and help the patient to kind of get through those changes. The other thing to think about, and many of y'all might need to do this, is could you get the person blister packs so that they just have to pop the pills out and they don't have to think about kind of separating out their medications. Uh, the best case scenario is if you can additionally include family who's checking on the patient so that they can kind of follow up and make sure that the instructions that you have that you desire are getting better. So let's think about uh, that patient that I kind of hypothesized at the beginning. This individual presents uh, with disorganized schizophrenia because they haven't been taking their Thorazine, and they're also in uh, acute on chronic heart failure. Uh, they're in the hospital. We restart their... Um, we restart their antipsychotic medication. They're doing much better. Their thoughts start to become more organized. They're more engaged in the treatment process. They start following the fluid restriction, which they previously hadn't. They stop eating the salty foods, which they were doing at home, and they're back on their heart failure medications. Now, we get the person involved with the mental health intensive case management group. We talk to their nurse, their psychiatrist, and we make sure that they're aware that they need to be kind of coming back in, make sure that the mental health case management folks know that the patient needs to be coming back in to see the cardiologist, etc., so we can keep this person on the right track. So that's kind of my understanding of schizophrenia from a cognitive standpoint and what I think causes folks to fall out of society and not do well with complex medical decisions. I hope this has been helpful for you. If you have any questions about it, feel free uh, to email me. Or uh, you guys can always consult psychiatry if they're on the wards for assistance with understanding how best to get folks plugged in with services. The views and opinions stated during the previous podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Department of Veteran Affairs or the Durham VA Hospital. Thanks so much.